But we are going to be in the Gospel of Luke. We're continuing our series, Tell Me the Story of Jesus. We're walking through the Gospels chronologically, just piecing together this beautiful story that we have in the Gospels. And I want to kind of begin this morning with the question, um, what do you think makes people feel uncomfortable? Uh, and I know sometimes just those open-ended questions make people feel uncomfortable. But one thing I have found that makes people uncomfortable is silence. And I, I thought, you know, if we were meeting together, just I'd walk up to the pulpit and set everything down, and, and I would just stare at you all for a while until you felt really awkward. And maybe Caleb would break the silence and yell out, what are you doing? And before I could even answer, he'd probably answer me <laughs> or answer for me. Uh, but uh, silence can make us feel awkward. And uh, again, we would experiment right now with this, except maybe you would think your video had frozen or your device wasn't working correctly, so we won't. But how many of you sleep with some sort of background noise going on while you sleep, whether that's music playing or maybe you're like us and you have a fan running throughout the night? Um, some of us, we, when we're doing things around the house, we even though we're focused on a particular project, we'll have background noise going on. We may leave the TV on or have music playing or we'll uh, be listening to a podcast or just have something else filling the air because silence, for some reason, makes us feel uncomfortable. It makes us feel awkward. Something should be happening. You know, when Jamie and I first got married, I found out very quickly that she liked to listen to music throughout the entire night. So she would put one of those CD play, CDs in the CD player and just hit repeat and it would play throughout the night. And it did not take long for me to say, this, this can't happen, this is not working because I would start listening to music and then I would stay up and, and I wasn't sleeping well. But in our almost 18 years of marriage, we have always had at least a fan running in the evening, and that includes uh, in the winter months when you don't usually need a fan. It's just some sort of noise going on in the background. Uh, I know a lot of people are frustrated right now with the way things are going and decisions that are being made. Um, feel like we're not getting all of the information out there, or maybe we're getting a silent treatment from people who have new information that we feel entitled to know. Uh, many of us are wondering, where is God in all of this? And when is God going to do something? When is he going to show up and, and release us and allow us to begin to physically gather again? Well, our current situation in 2020 actually helps us understand the passage of Scripture that we're looking at this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5 and reading through verse 25. As we come into the Gospel of Luke, Luke is taking a much different approach than the other Gospels. Matthew begins his story of Jesus in the Gospel by going through the genealogy of Jesus or the family line of Jesus. Mark's Gospel just jumps right into the action and speaking of the forerunner of John the Baptist and getting into the story and ministry of Jesus' life. The Gospel of John uh, points to Jesus' deity or his equality with God. Luke, instead, he's beginning to develop the story as a historian about the events that lead to the birth of Jesus Christ. And to do that, he begins with the, the telling of John the Baptist and his birth to his parents. And we can miss a lot of important things when we look at our passage of Scripture that Luke's original audience would have been aware of, which we need to bring out to understand what the Scriptures are telling us. At this point in time in Luke's Gospel, as well as the other Gospels, there was no new prophetic message 
which has been given to God's people, the Jewish people. And so the Jewish people were in a time of silence. It's about 400 plus years of silence since the last prophetic message had been spoken in the Old Testament to when we arrive in the New Testament, in the Gospels. And so the people were looking back into the law, looking back to the messages that were spoken to the prophets in their past. They were looking forward into the future through prayer, praying for God to bring in the messianic period. Uh, But at this stage in history within the Gospels, it would appear that God has become silent. And so like we experienced silence, it became an awkward and a very frustrating time for God's people. Um, Like like I said, we're experiencing today. Let's read through our passage and then we're going to walk through it together and see what the word is telling us. Beginning in verse 5 of the Gospel of Luke in chapter 1. The word of the Lord says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by law to enter into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him, that's Zechariah, an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. And the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy. And gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him, and him is Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Verse 18 And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, He was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service had ended, he went to his home. And after his days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Luke is setting the stage for God's salvation story, revealing the circumstances which are surrounding God's people. God is about to break the silence. All of the Gospels in some way give the historical timestamp that Luke gives us in verse 5 in the days of Herod, king of Judea. But as we mentioned last week, Luke is taking more of a historical approach and pointing out this timestamp right off the bat. The timestamp lets us know that things are not as they're meant to be or as they're supposed to be. For Herod to be king of Judea is to say that he is the king over all of the Jewish people. And so this is unsettling news to the original readers of this script or this book. 
because Herod is not from the line of David. He is not a Jew, but is very fascinated with the Jewish people and their religious customs. Michael Card points out in his book that Herod was a monster. He came to power amid a bloodbath. He murdered both his brothers-in-law and his wife, as well as her mother. Just before his own death, he ordered the prominent citizens in Israel be gathered. And the decree was that upon his death, they would be executed, so that there would be mourning in Israel. So with this kind of rap sheet, it's not hard to understand why the slaughter of the innocents recorded in Matthew chapter 2 did not even make it into the history books. Luke opens up that these are dark days for God's people. These are days when God's people are hoping for God to move, for hoping for God to break the silence. They're praying for God to do something. In the midst of all that is going on, we're introduced to two individuals in Zechariah and Elizabeth. We're told Zechariah was a priest, meaning he was from the tribe of Levi. His wife Elizabeth was a daughter of the uh, was from the daughters of Aaron, meaning she was also from that tribe. Both individuals in verse 6 were walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statues of the Lord. They were both righteous before God, which is important. Their righteousness wasn't for a show for people to see, but it was before God. Yet even in their spiritual place in life and the way they were living, the outside world would have looked upon Zechariah and Elizabeth and think something's wrong with them. God doesn't favor them like he favors other people because in this day and age to have a child meant that you were blessed by God. You were in God's favor. And so if you were childless, it, it gave this idea that you had some sort of sin going on that God was aware of that maybe other people weren't. But the scriptures let us know God speaks and says before him, they were righteous and blameless. They were walking in all of his ways. And so even though things didn't appear that way to the world, God saw these two individuals differently. He knew their righteousness was not for a show, but their righteousness was for him. According to the scriptures in Psalm chapter 119 verses 1 through 2, Zechariah and Elizabeth were living a blessed life. But here's the thing, they probably didn't feel that they were being blessed by God. And we can find that out in verse 25 when Elizabeth says that her reproach among the people has been finally taken away because of the birth of the son. So though God defined their life as blessed, this would not have been the perception of the people around them. To have a child again in this day was to be blessed by God, is to be found in God's favor. And so what Luke is revealing in chapter 1 is that their childlessness was not a sin issue. Rather, God was going to invite them into the story of Jesus, invite them into the story of salvation. And what it does for us in verses 5 through 7, it reveals our part in the silence of God. Being in the silence requires a persistent faith. The setting of verse 5 through 7 depicts that nothing, nothing is as it should be. Perhaps we feel that way right now. This isn't how things are supposed to be. This isn't right. It seems crazy. I was joking with Jamie. Someone needs to turn off the crazy button. Nothing is going as the way it should be here in Luke chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. God's people were not under the authority that they should be. The king over God's people was not the individual that it should be. The two righteous Levites were not perceived as they should be. The proverb says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. So here's the question for us. When things aren't going the way we planned, 
When things aren't going the way we hoped for, when things aren't going the way we have prayed and begged God for, how does it impact our allegiance and obedience to God? When God appears silent, what impact does that have on our relationship with God and our view of God? No doubt all of us have become frustrated. In my confession, I have probably become more frustrated at times, and it has impacted my heart. And this last week, our governor of Missouri issued the reopening phases, which allowed churches to begin to physically gather again in Missouri. And so I was here and I, I heard the news and I started making plans for us to be able to physically gather on this Sunday. I began going into the worship hall and I was moving chairs and stacking chairs. I had a measuring tape, making sure things were six feet apart and I was picturing where people could sit and how we could have an overflow room here in the foyer. Uh, and so Thursday morning, I was doing everything prepped for us to be able to gather once again I even put out an announcement video on Facebook, and some of y'all saw it. If you missed it, don't worry. It's not on Facebook anymore. I took it down for the time being. But some of y'all saw it, and, and, and you saw my excitement. Jamie actually began poking fun. It's like, that is the most excited I've seen you in a video yet. Um, I had people sending me texts and say, that video was so awesome. You, you were glowing, and, and I, I think that's a compliment. But it, about two hours later, I received a text from one of our elders telling me that I needed to check Greene County's announcement concerning its own loosening of restrictions. And of course, we live in Greene County. Well, in their, their guidelines, they were not going to allow churches to physically gather again. And I admit my bubble was pop. I was so excited until I read that announcement. And many of you, like me, have been praying for the day when we could physically gather again. We've been praying for God to break the silence of us not being able to gather as a body of Christ. Last week I felt on Thursday uh, that that time had finally come, that we were going to finally be able to prepare to get together. And as I read the announcement of our own county, my heart became bitter. Um, it, it became angry. I thought the silence was over. In fact, it wasn't. I say this because... And looking back in the last several months, I've noticed a thing that God has placed on my heart in form of teaching and preaching, and that deals not only with covenant, but with his sovereignty and his providence, his rule over all things and his provision in all things. Yet in that moment when I read that announcement by the county, my heart was not focused on the sovereignty or providence of God. I did not have a heart of worship praising God for all the things he had done. Now, you should feel sorry for Jamie she had to put up with a lot of my ranting throughout the day as I was giving little jabs uh, about the announcements made. Things had not gone the way that I had pictured, the way I had been praying. It seemed that God throughout the day kept poking me as people would come and I'd run into people as we would go around for our walks and they would ask, hey, what was that big announcement? I needed to see it or um, what, what were you going to say? I was having a lapse of faith. In the moment, I was wondering, God, why are you allowing this to happen? The story of Zachariah and Elizabeth is something that I needed last week, and perhaps we all need a reminder this morning. Zachariah and Elizabeth, for their entire life, were not receiving what they were praying for. They were just feeling like they were in the midst of the silence of God. It made me wonder, I wonder if they ever doubted their own righteousness. And scripture says that God 
hears the prayers of the righteous. I wonder if the silence of God over their life and not having a child had made them doubt their own faith and their own relationship with God. The thing is, Scripture reveals the opposite. It says that they remained faithful. They both were righteous. They walked blamelessly. I'm sure that you've experienced disappointment in your life and in your relationship with God through unanswered prayers and through times where it seems that God is being silent. We all have. Yet for Zachariah and Elizabeth, God was about to do something incredible in their lives, which led me to conclude this. What if, our, what if we don't receive answers to our prayers today because they serve a bigger and better purpose for tomorrow? I found that when I'm struggling to see God move, it's in those times that I seek him harder. When I'm in the midst of times where it seems that God is being silenced, it's in those times that my heart yells louder. Like Zachariah and Elizabeth, this is not a time for us to waver in our faith, but to persistently pursue after him and his righteousness. Being a part of God's story doesn't mean that we're not going to face disappointments, but instead, being in the silence awaits almighty appointments. Look in verses 8 through 10. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense, and the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. What, what's going on here can be easily overlooked because maybe of our lack of understanding of the priesthood. In 1 Chronicles chapter 24, David, when he was king, sets up the order of the priesthood and how the priests should rotate in their service at the temple. We're told that Zechariah in verse 5 was of the division of Abijah, which meant that his division was eighth in the line of priests. And there were 24 divisions of priesthood that would go and serve at the temple. They would go for one week at a time, and they would do that two times a year. And since there were so many priests, the casting of lots was used to decide which priest would be allowed to go into the holy place in order to light the incense. Now, this would only happen one time in a priest's life because there were so many priests. And some priests never received the opportunity to go and light the incense. The reason is the holy place was right outside the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was to believe to, believe to dwell. And so the lighting of incense would be done twice a day. It would be done in the morning and again in the evening. And only a priest who had not lit the incense before would be allowed to go in it. With over 18,000 priests, the odds of Zechariah being chosen by Lot was not in his favor I wonder if Zachariah had ever given up on the idea of being chosen because God hadn't answered his prayers concerning a son. Why would God allow him to get so close to his presence? But we're told in verse 10 that the whole multitude of, whole multitude of people were praying, which points to this particular lighting of incense to happen in the evening time. It was at the last possible moment of the day when God moved and broke the silence. There was no coincidence for Zechariah to be chosen by Lot to go and light the incense at this moment and at this stage of his life. And so when it comes to our faith in God, it removes the idea of coincidences. It rebukes the idea of karma. We believe God is and has been orchestrating his story of salvation from the beginning of time, and he is orchestrating his return to call his people home to glory. But notice, though, even the most faithful of people can have lapses of faith when it comes to God and when he shows up and when he speaks. Look in verse 18 through 20. The angel has just spoken to Zechariah, and Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? 
His question is, how can I be sure of this? How can I know what you're telling me is truth? For I am an old man, my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And that phrase, in their time, means at their appointed time. The news that the angel told Zechariah was too great, too marvelous for him to comprehend. His response mirrors another couple in Scripture, in Abraham and Sarah, who were also well advanced in years. And yet God was coming and speaking to Zechariah that he and Elizabeth would finally have a son. It speaks of the impossibility of these events to take place, yet God was intervening in their life in a big way. The angel Gabriel appears another time in Scripture in the book of Daniel. Gabriel is one of three angels to which we are given their names in all of Scripture. Gabriel's presence in verse 11 is at the right side of the altar of incense. At one time... At the one time that Zechariah was chosen to enter into the temple, this is huge. In revealing his name, there's no doubt that Zechariah would have been familiar with the angel Gabriel and what he did for Daniel in revealing what God was getting ready to do. And now Gabriel is once again appearing to Zechariah and saying, Hey, look, this is what God has been preparing to do. Gabriel is revealing what God's plan is, that God has not, in fact, been silent. He stands in the presence of God on the right side of the altar of incense, which lets us know the authority of him as the messenger, but also the authority of the message to which Gabriel is given to Zechariah. Perhaps in this moment of not being able to gather together is allowing us to cherish and to not take advantage of the times when we can gather together. Perhaps God is wanting to create in us a sense of anticipation and excitement and expectation when we can gather once again with our brothers and sisters in Christ to form the body of Christ and worship our Lord in spirit and truth. Perhaps God is setting our hearts so when we do come together and worship Him, it will be like we've never... Like how we've never worshipped him before, that we'll be so excited to once again be in his presence. I, I want to see you. I want to see you physically. I want to see you sit in the places where you find yourself to sit. But God has changed my longing. My confession is I've been longing so much to want to be with you all in worship, and that's a good thing for us as believers to do and to be. But now my longings change. I just want to be with you so we all can worship God together. There's something beautiful about God's people meeting in his presence and lifting up his name in praise. That's the almighty appointment that my heart is now longing for. To hear us all worshiping him. What the almighty appointment also reveals is that we serve and are loved by a God who wants to and longs to be a part of our life. For this reason, being in the silence waits for the invasion of heaven. When we pray like Zechariah prayed and like the people prayed, we are praying for God to invade our lives. And then we are submitting to whatever that looks like on God's terms. You can imagine Zechariah's heart and what it did when he walked into the holy place and he saw an angel, Gabriel, there who wasn't supposed to be there. 
The Bible says in verse 12, Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. That's Luke's way of saying that Zechariah kind of had his breath taken away and his heart skipped a beat. Now I've done this a couple times to Mark and Cindy Taylor. They've been in the church. I'll come back from my office and begin working my way up here to the, the front part of the church. And I'll, I'll whistle or I'll yell out hello just to know that I'm coming. But I can easily say Mark and Cindy Taylor are the two most people that I've scared the most. I've said that weird, but the two people I've scared the most. I've walked in on them and they've completely lost their breath. Their, their hearts have almost stopped. And I don't mean to give them a heart attack. But this is how Zechariah felt when he saw Gabriel and walked in. He was feared and troubled. His heart skipped a beat. His breath was taken away. Yet Gabriel came to Zechariah not to scare him, but to tell him that his prayer has been heard. It's hard to believe that Zechariah, who was blameless and righteous before God, was praying in this moment for he and Elizabeth to have a son. The evening prayers at the temple at this time were a time to focus in praying for the coming of the Messiah and the time of salvation. Most likely, Zechariah was like the others at the temple, praying for God to invade and to break the silence, to allow the Messiah to come. But God showed up not only to deliver an answer to the people's prayer, but to Zechariah and Elizabeth's lifelong prayer. In verses 11 through 17, we're given of an image of a heavenly creature appearing before a holy priest in the holy place, offering a holy sacrifice with a message of invasion and hope. Gabriel tells Zechariah that he is to name the child John, which means God is gracious. The invasion of God brought an answer prayer to Zechariah and Elizabeth of a son, but also an answer prayer to the people in the son of redemption. See, when God invades our life, it is always because of his grace towards us. One significance of John being anointed with the Holy Spirit prior to his birth is that none of the prophets in the Old Testament and scriptures leading up to this ever had this done until a later time in their life. John was going to be a very important piece in the story of Jesus. And Zachariah and Elizabeth were being invited by God to play a part in that story. The reason for the Holy Spirit to be on John before his birth, because John was always going to be on duty in the work of the Lord. What John was going to do is state in verse 16 through 17. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him. And him is speaking of Jesus. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready the Lord a people prepared. These verses can be a little bit difficult to understand. Uh, some say maybe it's speaking of the restoration of the family unit. Maybe it's a form of parallelism that we find in the Old Testament, particularly in the Psalms. But if it's parallelism, is it the fathers who are disobedient and, or is it the children? Is it the children who have wisdom or is it the fathers? The overall point of verse 16 through 17 is that change will occur. Hearts are going to change, which is going to lead to actions of change. This is the power of the story of Jesus and the purpose for God to invade our lives. It's change. We read in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's speaking of change. Paul's prayer for the Philippian believers in verses 9 through 11 
is that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He's praying for change over them. See, God invades our life to change our hearts. And when our hearts are changed by God, it changes our thoughts and it changes our actions so they all might be pleasing to him. This is what the Bible refers to as our sanctification, which the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. As God has invaded our lives and given us the understanding of salvation, so now we are to present our members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Sanctification is the act of making something or someone clean or holy. In the Christian theology, sanctification is usually understood as an act or process following salvation, which renders the believer holy. Why is this all important? Because out of the silence reveals the evidence of the miraculous. The evidence of what God was going to do with Jesus began with the sign of the birth of John to a couple that was advanced in years. Oddly enough, this evidence was brought by a sign of silence upon Zechariah and a choice of solitude by his wife Elizabeth. Once Elizabeth conceived, she puts herself, did you, did you see that, in a five-month stay-at-home order. Look in verse 24. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months, she kept herself hidden. The reason for this is uncertain. Perhaps the disgrace that she had been feeling from the community around her had become so unbearable. And once she finally conceived a child, she didn't want the outside perspective to take away or destroy her newfound joy. The fact that Zachariah couldn't speak, had to be silenced, and Elizabeth went into seclusion reveals why the angel had to tell Mary that her relative Elizabeth has now conceived a child in Luke chapter 1 verse 36. God's miraculous invasion, his almighty appointment was beginning to reveal itself. The silence was breaking. Today many people are praying and seeking like never before. We want answers to this pandemic. We want to know the factual evidence of what is going on and why this happened. We want explanations for what is life going to look like in the coming months, in the coming years. People are praying for a miracle, for all of this to be over. But I wonder if we're praying a lot like the people who were at the temple the day that Zechariah was chosen by Lot. See, when Zechariah came out, and the Bible says that it took longer than normal it began to make the people wonder why. This tells me even though the people were praying for God to come and speak and break the silence, they weren't really expecting it. When we pray for God to do miraculous in our life, we're asking the God of the universe to miraculously intervene and invade our life. When we pray, we aren't distanced from God but we're ushered into his throne room of grace. Our ability to pray and talk to the God of the universe is a miracle in itself. The people at the temple understood that there was a separation between God with the Holy of Holies. But now that we are found in Jesus Christ and we have been given the Holy Spirit, we have full access to God through prayer. Prayer is evidence of the miraculous, whether or not we see the answers to our prayers. Yet God in his great grace towards us has gone even further. Just think for a moment, how have you experienced the evidence of God in your life? Perhaps through his provisions and his protection, 
Perhaps through the people he has placed around your life to, to lift you up or to be a shoulder to lean upon. Perhaps through your family and your children. Perhaps through having at least one meal a day and having clean water to drink. However we have experienced the miraculous of God in our life, we are called to share it, to be witnesses about it. The evidence of God in our life is a sign of the miraculous, and the greatest miracle in our life is our salvation. God came to save us. If we've accepted God's great gift of love and his gift of salvation, then we are the evidence of God's miraculous intervention. God has invaded our lives. We are sinners who don't deserve nor can we earn God's favor. But God has come to save us and reveal his love because God is good. God is loving, God is just, God is kind, and God is merciful. Perhaps this week what we need to do is stop focusing on all the things going on around us and to follow Elizabeth's lead and exclude ourselves to ponder on what God has done and what God is doing. Maybe we need to take Zechariah's stance and be silent. Perhaps this week we all need to be still and silent and just know that God is God. Set the stage to pursue God in your life. Set an appointment with God and allow him to invade your life and your heart through his word. And when he does, share about that miraculous intervention that God has done. Maybe you're listening right now and you need God to invade your heart. Maybe you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you have yet to do that, then God wants to invade your heart and he wants to invade your life and make you the evidence of his miraculous. This is what we refer to as the gospel. The gospel is that God created you for a relationship with him. He wants to be a part of your life. He's not silent. He's not far off. He wants to be actively involved in your life. The issue is sins separate us from the love of the Father. And our sins can't be removed by good deeds. We can't do enough good things in order to be righteous and blameless before God. But God knows this, and so he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. They placed him in a tomb, but Jesus rose three days later. And the Bible says when we believe that to be truth, when we believe that Jesus rose from the grave, that we might be forgiven for our sins, be given eternal life, then we will be saved. We have to confess it with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And perhaps you're listening, and that's what you need to do. You need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So I just want to lead you in this prayer. If this is you, just say, God, I am a sinner. I believe your son Jesus died for my sins and rose again that I might be forgiven. And I am accepting him now as my Lord and Savior. And I am accepting your gift of salvation and eternal life. If you prayed that prayer, I just want to say the heavens erupted. And I encourage you to reach out to me. It's pastormike at harvesthill.org so I can help you along in this relationship with God and, and know, okay, what do I do next? How do I get into God's word? How do I pursue after him? But if you've already done this, maybe you're going through a frustrating time. Maybe you're just frustrated with everything going on in the news. Let me just tell you, I've been there. <laughs> but God is not silent. God is not punishing us. God is preparing us for something incredible beyond what we can even pray for or expect. And so let's continue to pursue after him, continue to be faithful, 
continue to walk in his ways, continue to lift him up. So when we do gather together, which I believe is going to be very soon, that the worship in this place will be something we've never experienced because we have been pursuing after God while we've been apart. I pray you're doing well. Again, happy Mother's Day. Uh, you all continue to take care of yourself. If you need anything, please reach out. You know I'm praying for you. And let's close our time in prayer.